Well, Melissa, we are halfway through the month of December, and this is our second episode for the month, but not our last for the year. Um, We're not quite done yet, but (laughs) I really wanted to take um, some time and chat a little bit about what's going on in Washington. It's been a minute since we've done one of these kind of legislative update episodes, and since you are our in-house resident expert, I realized that was... um, it just was repetitive in-house and resident it means the same thing. Hi, friends. It's only Tuesday. This is a great sign for the rest of the week. <laughs> because Melissa is our resident expert on all things uh, legislative, we figured that it would be a great time to kind of give um, a quick check-in on what's going on right now, kind of what the lay of the land looks like, um, and a little brief review of what we've kind of dealt with this year, and maybe a little bit about what's on our radar for 2024. Um, Now, for those of our listeners who maybe aren't as keyed in or familiar, each month you all receive the legislative report, which is an email and a blog that corresponds to it that Melissa is in charge of, Um, and she tries to keep everyone up to date with that. But as we know, in the world of Washington, things change very quickly, Um, and it can be changing on a dime or it can be waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. So um, I highly recommend that you read those legislative report emails just to stay on top of things. But in revisiting the latest edition of the legislative report, I wanted to touch on two issues that have been big for CMAA throughout 2023, and those include H-2B visas, which is a perennial challenge for uh, our members, as well as um, the DOL's overtime rule. These are things that we're always getting updates on. Things are kind of always fluid and changing. Melissa, can you give us a little bit of background on both of those issues and, and let us know where we're at with both of those right now? Sure. So let me start with HGBs, uh, which is, again, you're right, a perennial topic that we we always talk about. Um, and, you know, this is an issue of supply and demand. Uh, these are visas used to buy any employer with seasonal based needs. So not just the club industry, but uh, hospitality, tourism, hotels, amusement parks. Um, and, you know, there, there really just aren't enough of them. There are 66,000 um, released each year for use. And pretty much every year, except if you take away the COVID year, uh, they <laughs> have been exhausted uh, well before uh, the year is over. Um, for fiscal year 2024, which started October 1, um, you a- it was actually exhausted as of October 11th for that That's first crazy. half of the year. Um, and so that, you know, there are still available, there was still availability for the second half, but for the first half through uh, March 31, uh, nothing available. So this year, uh, the Department of Labor and Department of Family and Security for the second year in a row proactively announced that they were going to release additional visas. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is allowed under law that they have the discretion to do that. Um, and so in a move that really matched pretty closely to exactly, literally down to the number of the actions from last year, they are going to release an additional uh, 64,716 visas for this year. Um, And that temporary final rule was published in the middle of November. 
Um, and those visas were available immediately for depending on the allotment. So they break down this mm-hmm. allotment. You've got this large, you know, nearly 65,000 visas. But number one, um, they had an original allotment of a 20, just over 20,000 that were available immediately for that first half of the fiscal year. Again, that 33,000 had already been exhausted. Those are immediately available um, and have to be used for workers with start dates before uh, March 31. Um, and that is all the restriction on that is it has to be returning workers. So it mm-hmm. has to be folks that have used the program in the last three years successfully and um, they are known as designated as returning workers. So this cannot be someone, this cannot be used for an employee that's never used the H2B visa program. This has to be for returning workers. Um, so there's also 20,000 immediately available. Um, for the first half, which is specific to a couple of countries. Um, in, the, in the past, we've had that just the Northern Triangle countries um, and Haiti was added in. Um, this year, they've actually expanded it. So it's not only, uh, it's Colombia, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Ecuador, Guatemala, Haiti, and Honduras. So uh, we added a couple of countries to that. Um, so again, those can be uh, nationals from any of those countries, they do not have to be returning workers. So later in fiscal year 2024, um, once uh, they took that second half of the year and kind of broke it up. Mm-hmm. So once they hit, once they hit the second, once the second half of the year cap is hit, those the 30, 33,000 original visas, there'll be two periods, one from April 1 to May 14th start dates, and then one from May 15th to September 30th. In that first half, that April to May, there'll be 19,000 visas available for that period. Again, all returning workers. Um, and then for that that latter half period, there will be 5,000. Um, and those will not, those are, have a couple trigger dates in there as well. But the, the thing you have to remember about these is not only are there extra visas, but it actually comes with additional requirements. So employers have to attest that they're, they are are currently suffering irreparable harm if they don't have the employment these of these requested okay. visas. So this is not just uh, additional visas. There are additional requirements um, that you have to do. Check out the blog because it is literally, uh, it's a list of about 10 things that you have to do that are additional and beyond what you normally have to do as an employer using this program. Um, and you have to have additional compliance and Records, maintenance of records. Um, just to note that all the petitions for these visas have to go through the Texas Service Center. So definitely check that out. It's a lot of information. Um, hopefully you have somebody in your on your team or you're working with a partner that really can help um, make this easy for you because it is a lot of extra work. But um, it is a relief that these additional visas are available. Um, Kind of going out separately to this, you know, obviously CMA has worked with the H2B Workforce Coalition for a number of years mm-hmm. and never partners in this field. And the goal obviously is a permanent solution to this issue. Because this um, issue really is recurring. It's not just that we're always talking about needing more workers. It's we're also talking about the fact that these H2B visas get snapped up within a matter of a week once they're made available or sometimes less. Um, right. And that's really the issue that you're talking about here, right, Melissa? Right, absolutely. And we need a permanent fix to this issue. We can't keep going back 
every year and having to, um, you know, ask DHS and DOL for more visas. And so really, uh, we need a permanent fix to this. And so, you know, we, we were very disappointed. Um, as you all know, uh, Congress uh, has had a couple of spending iterations for fiscal year 2024, um, right before the iteration was passed uh, at the end of September. Um, language that would have actually permanently exempted returning workers from being counted in the H2B uh, cap was removed from that legislation. So uh, we're very disappointed that, you know, this would have actually provided substantial cap relief. Um, and, you know, this is something that we need a certainty for the businesses that we represent, not only the club industry, but it's unfortunate that, um, you know, Congress is really not listening to its constituents in this issue. And I know it was a, a, a big topic of conversation in every um, office that we went into on Capitol Hill for National Golf Day. And we found all of our folks and I, we met with folks from Virginia and all of those offices had not only assured us that they were hearing this, that they heard our comments about this, but that they had heard from many constituents about this issue. And all were very supportive of making sure that there, there is uh, movement to fix this in the future. So, you know, obviously there, there's, you know, spending legislation is always a battle, uh, but we will continue to work on this as we move forward and find pathways for clubs to help find those additional workers. And, you know, this, the, the lack of these visas dates to way before COVID, way before. Oh gosh, this has been going on for years. <laughs> Literally, you know, it's something that I've, I've tracked for more than a decade. So, yes. you know, we need a we need a permanent fix for this issue. Absolutely. Um, staying on the topic of em employment, um, the Department of Labor also this year issued some changes to their overtime rules, um, which obviously impact our members as well, um, because obviously in clubs we have a varying degree of <laughs> types of workers and how long they work for and what their hours are. Uh, can you give us a rundown of what those overtime rules changes have looked like this year and perhaps what people need to be keeping an eye out for? Sure, absolutely. So. Um, this is a, a something we've been expecting to come from the Department of Labor for for well over a year. And finally, at the end of the summer, um, they came out with a proposal to change the Fair Labor Standards Act regulations, which define who is eligible for overtime pay. And it's always important, and I always try to throw this out, this is when we talk about changing um, the salary level, we're not just talking about the salary level. Um, in order for someone to be exempt, they not only have to uh, be salary, number one, be salaried. Um, number two, they have to meet qualifying duties and responsibilities. And number three, then they have to meet the salary threshold. So if you're not familiar with what those duties test looks like, um, head over to our blog. You'll find the links to the Fair Labor Standards Act white papers on those, you know whether it's administrative or executive, um, make sure that you're looking first is an individual mm -hmm. salary. Number two, look at their duties. And then number three, do they look at the threshold of the salary that they make? And so right now, in order to meet the salary threshold, you have to be making $679 a week, which is the equivalent of just over $35,000 a year. 
The proposal the Department of Labor uh, put out, the proposed rule actually increased that number to $1,059 per week or just over $55,000 annually. Um, what we find concerning in the proposal, number one, is that they have suggested that they will do automatic increases. And that means that every three years, they would take the benchmark and they use the benchmark of the 35 percentile of weekly earnings for full-time non-hourly workers in the lowest wage region, which is our friends in the South, to all, all my friends and family in South Carolina. Um, <laughs> shout out to you guys. Uh, that is the lowest earning wage region is the South. And, um, and so it uses that number. So basically every three years, the number would be rebalanced based on that number. Um, and then it also would do that for what are known as highly compensated employees. If you're familiar with that, those are folks that are salaried and then they are highly compensated but may not meet the duties test. We find that a lot with uh, uh, chief financial officers and clubs. Mm -hmm. um, and that number is going to go up to $143,988 per year. Um, they didn't suggest any changes to the duties test. They didn't suggest any changes to the use of bonuses uh, right now. Uh, you can use up to 10% of non-discretionary bonuses and instead instead of payments uh, that are paid annually or more frequently to satisfy that salary threshold. Uh, they didn't propose anything to that, uh, any changes to that. But you know, our, our big concern is this, and, and CMAA submitted our official comments. You're welcome to read those directly through our blog um, or through uh, the Department of Labor Regulations.gov website. Uh, where they are publicly available. Our issue here with the increase and with the use of um, the automatic increases is that it doesn't take into account the things that change. Correct. Kyle, you and I did not know that three years that that we were going to have a plague in 2020. We it, didn't. I was there was no prepared. bet. There was no no one knew that was coming. Um, Nobody know, gave me the over under line on that. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, and so in order in in order to put into to to place these every three year rebalancing, basically rebalancing this automatically every three years, it really doesn't allow for there to be an off ramp. So in three years, if we're in the middle of COVID two, which I am not predicting, but if or if there's a substantial change in our situation in in, in three years, you know that's going to happen whether or not there's a that we're prepared for it or not. And Correct. so, um, you know, we really think that there should always be, just like this proposal process, a proposal, the ability for the public to comment, and then the ability for the Department of Labor to take action uh, based on all the facts and circumstances at that time. So that's one of the things that we really raise objection to um, in, our, in, our, in our comments to the Department of Labor. Uh, but we also looked at a couple other things. Um, number one, it is a substantial increase. Um, and in fact, they have estimated in the rule that they put out that if they rebalance in January, so next month, January 2024, if they go ahead and try to rebalance that number because of wage growth, uh, that number will go over $60,000 a year. Correct. There's also not a lot of um, consideration for geography, you know, as they point out the lowest rate region is the South. Um, and so, you know, we know from our 
our research work that, you know, there is a good variety of um, salaries across the board, depending on where a club is. Um, obviously, geography does play into that um, as well. And so, you know, there's not really a big consideration for that. Um, so, you know, considering that our last update was in 2020, in January 2020, right? And then we have COVID. So fitting. Later. Um, ironically, um, you know, I, we're concerned that this effort, the DOL is really overshadowing those two other factors, right? The duties test has to be upheld okay. and considered consi as well as that salary basis. Um, and then our final ask to them was really to, to take a look at the inclusion of dis discretionary bonuses and incentive payments and commission. Um, we'd love to see that number go higher. We know that the way that uh, pay and structures have changed over the mm -hmm. last five to 10 years um, is substantial. And, you know, especially when it comes to folks in our field who um, may be making less than income or commission income, you know, our rackets professionals, our golf professionals, our health and wellness professionals, right? They have a very different model of compensation yeah. um, than someone who works in accounting. Um, so, you know, based on modern pay structures, we really need to look at that number. So we we made a suggestion that they should really increase the current threshold of 10% to 25% to really reflect more modern pay structures uh, today. And so as of the day we filed, there were more than 15,000 comments filed. I was going to ask how many rule. comments were, were filed so far. <laughs> there were 15,000, and those were due, um, those were due uh, in early November. So they, they'll, now the process is the Department of Labor takes those rules, um, is supposed to take and consume all those um, thoughts and then come out with their final rule. You know, um, if I have a crystal ball, I'm going to say start being prepared for this rule to take effect in 2024. Mm -hmm. I think at this point, first quarter is very unlikely, but I think um, you could see it by middle of the year. Uh, usually with those rules, you have about 90 days, 60 to 90 days from when their rule is published to when you it has to be enforced. In compliance. Yeah. So it's definitely something that clubs now go ahead and have your HR um the folks in your club who are responsible for HR and pay structures start to look at things and identify mm -hmm. those people who who maybe uh, need to be adjusted or, um, you know, how you, you're going to make adjustments to your pay structure. It's something you definitely need to consider for fiscal year 2024. So uh, be prepared. That change is coming. The number is going up. It's really just the question of how many, how, how much that number will go much. up. Well, I think that that's, that um, that overtime rule change is really just a good reminder overall for our members to be to stay on top of you know that kind those kind of HR um, data points in terms of you know are your what are your salaries currently what does that look like is it in does it fit within kind of the the market balance of what people should be earning and and things like that? I mean, like this this all just is part and parcel to the idea that we should really be paying attention to this stuff. You don't want to ever be surprised by something like this. I mean, it would be such a heavy lift to have this new rule come down and then <laughs> have 
to implement it when that's not something you've been paying attention to, um, perhaps as closely as you should be. So really just a great argument for staying on top of your stuff and <laughs> making sure that everything is in order now so that when these rules do come into effect, that they're hopefully a little bit easier to implement. So you're not having to do a lot of extra work to, to get things at least <laughs> workable. Um, so we've, we've actually covered a lot of ground so far. And of course, all of these things are things that we talk about all the time. Um, but the, <laughs> the last uh, big thing that I wanted to check in on, um, which has also, again, been somewhat of a perennial issue for us over the last several years, um, and of course, wouldn't be any different this year if there hadn't been some changes, um, <laughs> But WOTUS, Melissa, your favorite thing in the whole world, the waters of the U.S. rule. There were some some changes made again this year. Um, do you want to just, again, give us a quick snapshot of where things stand with WOTUS? What version of WOTUS are we operating with? I've lost track at this point. Sure. So, I mean, and I, I think that's a great uh, a great point that you've lost track because it's, it's kind of been up and down. So, uh, waters of the U.S. rule, really that definition of what waters fall under federal regulation um, versus what do not. And we've had an up and down. We've we've been to the Supreme Court this year. We had a, a ruling in May that has been very impactful. And as of September, the actually end of August, uh, the EPA came out um, with its updated rule in response to that Supreme Court decision. So that Supreme Court decision dated back to May. Um, and so it kind of came out with a final rule. Uh, because this rule is a fix, in essence, of an existing rule, that's a quick way to say that, um, it is it is a final rule immediately. So it is not mm -hmm. a public comment rule like what we've seen from the Department of Labor. Um, and it really, it it tried to bring WOTUS definitions into compliance with the Supreme Court ruling. So um, it did not address a couple of issues, though. So, you know, one of the things it did do, it eliminated the significant nexus test. It narrowed its definition of adjacent um, and it removed wetlands as automatically considered foundational water. So, sure. you know, th those are the kind of the highlights of what it of what it did, what it failed to do. However, is it didn't really give us the definitions of a couple things. So, you know, a wetland would be considered a body of water if it is relatively permanent and if it has a continuous surface connection to a waterway, right? Um, but without definitions of what relatively permanent, standing or continuous. I was say, how do you define means, relatively? <laughs> right. So is that, is that, it, it's always, you know, is it 360 days a year? Is it 180? What is that number? And, right. um, you know, without those definitions, it's, it's still going to create a lot of considerable ambiguity uh, for folks to make those decisions. So to make that a little bit more complicated is that there is actually ongoing litigation. And so depending on what state you live in, depends on whether... So the 2023 rule, WOTUS rule came out in January. Um, there have been two major lawsuits with multiple states involved where those states um, are enjoined from the rule, the, 2020, the 2023 rule from being in effect. Um, and then for other states, it is in effect. 
Um, I'm not going to go through all the states. Check out our blog if you're confused about that. Um, But, uh, you know, basically, so you definitely have two different definitions of WOTUS that are currently in existence, and this litigation is ongoing. So I was going to say, we haven't had any resolution. Right. Um, It's going to be well into, I would say it's going to be the first quarter of next year um, before we get any further clarity. Um, So, you know, this is an area where if you're think you have water on your property that is federally regulated, you're going to have to go through that process. Um, and uh, it's a good place to know kind of which rule may be in place um, in your state. And, that, you know, the difficulty with this is, unfortunately, <clears throat> because of this confusion, the confusion is not just for property owners, but it's also for the EPA and for the Army of Foreign Engineers as they make these determinations. So it is vastly slowed the process as well uh, because of all this up and down this year. So it's really difficult for property owners and we hope to get continued clarity um, in the new year. But I would say, you know, stay tuned because there's once this litigation unravels, there'll be more information coming out. I was going to say, I think the, the you mentioned it early on, but because of the ambiguity in some of the language that in and of itself will lead to continued litigation as those definitions start to get teased out and people start applying the rule in certain ways. So, I mean, I I also foresee it being a little bit longer until we have full resolution of what WOTUS actually means um, and how we define relatively permanent. I really would love yep. to know. A subjective word to define an objective thing. Love that. Absolutely. Thank you government for your clarity on all things. Um, One last thing before we wrap up this conversation. Um, You mentioned this a little bit earlier on, but I just wanted to get a pulse check on it. Um, This fall, obviously, if you've been paying attention to the news, you know that Congress has been wrestling over a budget and we've passed a couple of CRs. Um, This conversation isn't going to go away (laughs) until they figure some stuff out. How is this going to impact us in our space, Melissa, as they continue to kind of battle over what the budget will look like? Absolutely. I mean, I I think that there's, you know, obviously just considerable gridlock in getting anything done. And so, you know, any any measures outside spending legislation just aren't moving. And and really, you know, they've concluded for the year. So they're going to come back in January and and uh, hopefully figure all of these things out. But I think, you know, we have we certainly been in this period for a long time where very little is happening in Congress. that's not spending related. Um, And they're you know, so I think that's just to kind of continue to cause um, a lot of gridlock and really not a lot coming out of Congress for us. And that moves a lot of that decision making to where action is happening in the regulatory side. So where we'll see uh, things coming out of the Department of Labor, um, you know, versus coming out of Congress. So I think that's just that's going to continue a status quo um, mm-hmm. of, of really stagnant action. Uh, into the new year. So really just probably well into next year. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, I think at this point, really, we've just got to keep, keep our eyes on those different agencies and look to those rulemaking bodies. um, Because like you said, that's pretty much where most of our, our challenges and regulation is going to come from um, as Congress seems to be in a space where um, 
like you said, their priority are those spending bills. And until they can get that taken care of, a lot of other issues aren't going to be addressed. Um, and it's challenging, but that's what we're here for. So <laughs> that's why we've got Melissa. She can keep her ear to the ground on all things relatively important to us. I'm just going to use the word relatively a lot now because apparently. <laughs> relatively. It's, it's relative. all relative. It is all relative. That's very true. So true. Um, thank you, Melissa, once again, for sharing your expertise with us. It's I always enjoy getting to talk about any legislative issues because it's obviously a little pet project of mine as well. Um, moving into 2024, as we know, you'll continue to pay attention to all of these issues and more. Is there anything kind of on your radar that might be new and different for next year that you're kind of already starting to think about? Sure. So one of the things we're definitely watching um, is the Department of Labor's final independent contractor role. Um, mm -hmm. Our comments for this actually date back uh, three overtime. So we've been waiting on this role a while, and it's definitely an expectation that first quarter um, to mid of next year we'll have a new independent contractor role in place. And I could see that Definitely. that is a very important uh, thing for our members to be thinking about. As you mentioned before, we have a lot of folks who are kind of operating in different pay structures. And some of the individuals you mentioned, perhaps some of our fitness and wellness experts um, and professionals could be operating in that nebulous contractor space. And we don't really know what that could look like. So that will certainly be something of great importance um, once that final rule comes down um, from the DOL. Yes, but it's not all bad news. I will say this, you know, we, we've had some good news in, in a couple of areas this year and we'll continue to to work to advocate for the industry. But check out our blog. We've already had our first snowfall of the year here in D.C. It didn't <laughs> last very long. But, um, you know, winter worker safety is up there um, as well as, you know, as we think about the holiday time, I know our clubs are slammed. Um, and our teams are working really hard to put on magical experiences for the members. So also dealing with workplace stress. So check out the blog for some other uh, good health and safety information for you and your team uh, to keep yourself merry and bright as you wrap <laughs> up the year. Well done, Melissa. That was a good plug for the blog. I can't recommend you all, our listeners, you know, pay, like I said, paying attention to that legislative report comes out at the end of every month. You'll get it in your email. But as Melissa mentioned, the blog does also live online. You can find it on CMA Connect. You can also get right to it from um, the CMA's website as well. So easy to find. Also, very easy to stay up to date on these issues. Um, if you ever have questions about anything regulatory or legislative related, Melissa is your person. Uh, she's the one you want to reach out to. And if she doesn't know the answer, she knows how to find who does. So um, I think that's everything for, for this What's Up in Washington moment that we've had here in the month of December. Um, you know, we'll, we'll keep our eyes peeled for what's going on across the river over there in Washington. And uh, you'll be, you'll all be the first to know if something exciting happens or not exciting. Thanks. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk about this stuff and, and obviously always a pleasure to, to co-host with you. Oh, mutual. Before we wrap, um, while I have you here, should we run through any CMA announcements? Absolutely. Uh, if you haven't heard, Online voting is now available. It is. 
So you can cast your vote for the 2024 candidates for the CMA Board of Directors. There are no bylaw amendments for this year, but head to cmaa.org backslash vote. Uh, read through all the information. You'll see information about all four of our candidates. You'll get to read their platform, their resume, and you'll also get to watch uh, their presentation at the Leadership and Legislative Conference uh, in September. Scroll all the way to the bottom. Check your, <clears throat> check your eligibility information to make sure that your category of membership um, has voting uh, eligibility. And then hit that request my voter code button and that will take you, uh, will require you to log in and then you'll be able to uh, request your unique single use only voter code to cast your vote online. If you prefer to vote in person and you're gonna be at the World Conference coming up in March, that's okay. You can do that. Go to the polls and uh, meet the amazing um, elections uh, committee at conference. But if you're not going to be at conference or you just can't wait, we encourage you to go ahead and start voting um, today. It's available. Speaking of conference, um, another plug, our early registration deadline for World Conference is December 20th. That is next week. Believe it or not, we are somehow more than a third of the way through this month and that deadline is coming up so if you wanted to register for world conference and you want to take advantage of that price break definitely take care of that before december 20th i almost said september that's not correct december 20th um <laughs> when that deadline will hit and uh, i mean we've already not to toot our own horns but we our registration for World Conference is looking fantastic. I think everyone's really excited to head to Las Vegas. We're really working hard to put together a great event, and you don't want to miss it. So if you're on the fence, don't be. <laughs> Take Absolutely. care of that registration uh, by December 20th so that you can take advantage of, again, that those early bird prices. Um, and then finally, I wanted to mention one more time that if you are interested in serving on a national committee in CMAA for 2024, you can sign up or put your hand in, I suppose, uh, for that opportunity. Um, you can do that online. Those, I think, close by the end of this month. December 31st yeah. is the last day to volunteer to be on a committee. Um, Again, you can find all of that information right on our homepage, actually. You hit CMAA.org, and it's right right up there under announcements, super easy to find. Um, but if you have any interest at all in serving on a committee, giving back to the association in any way, that's how you let us know. Um, after the first of the year, our incoming chairman will sit down with our staff team and start working on getting all those committee assignments sorted. Um, there are a lot, <laughs> but if you're interested at all, please make sure that you let us know by December 31st by filling out that form online. I think that's everything for this episode. So we've got one more to go in 2023. I can't believe that. It's madness. Crazy. It is madness. That's absolutely true. Um, well, I'm going to let the end of year holiday madness take me away at the moment. So <laughs> um, I'm going to sign off. This is Kyle. That's Melissa. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Club Management. We will talk to you in the next one. Bye. Bye. Take care, friends.
Let's Talk Club Management podcast is a podcast of the Club Management Association of America. Since 1927, CMAA has been the largest professional association for managers of membership clubs throughout the U.S. and internationally. The objectives of the association are to promote relationships between club management professionals and other similar professions, to encourage the education and advancement of members, and to provide the resources needed for efficient and successful club operations. Under the covenants of professionalism, education, leadership, and community, CMAA continues to extend its reach as the leader in the club management practice. CMAA is headquartered in Alexandria, Virginia, with more than 40 professional chapters and more than 40 student chapters and colonies. Please learn more at www.cmaa.org. Dot org.